0: Good morning, everybody. This is Tommy Elliott and Matt Joya here with uh, the one and only Clark Gracie for Um, uh, Clark probably doesn't need too much of an introduction for our audience, but for those of you who uh, who don't know who he is, uh, he is the most photogenic man in jiu-jitsu, uh, 2013 IBJJF uh, Pan American Championships winner, um, World uh, Nogi Championship winner uh, in 2018, um, and one of the foremost experts in the world on uh, the Plata which is one of my favorite submissions, and I think one of Matt's too. Um, so with no further ado, let's just jump in. So how are you this morning, Clark?
1: I'm doing great, how are you guys?
0: Ah, happy to be here.
1: Same.
0: Uh, so, uh, so what have you been up to lately? It's been a while since uh, since I've uh, seen you on the, on the competition circuit. Are you still an active competitor, or is that uh, something you've really put in the past to focus more on your school?
1: No, I'm still competing. I uh, competed last year. This year, I haven't competed yet. You know, I was considering doing Pan Ams, but because uh, this whole this, this situation happened, you know, it, took this, you know, it, it didn't even happen, so sure. i just waiting. Uh, but, yeah, last year I did, uh, the last competition I did was actually the Asian Open. Okay. Uh, yeah, I did some IBGFs last year, and uh, still open to do it, but just not as probably aggressively hunting the competitions like yeah. that was when I first got my black belt. But yeah, I think I did like four competitions last year.
0: Are you um, so in terms of competing? Are you focused mostly going forward on on remaining in tournaments, or are you interested in getting more involved in the uh, the super fight and professional scene that's out there right now? Because I imagine a lot of people would love to see you in like fight to win pro, for example.
1: Yeah, i I fought in a, a handful of super fights. Usually, I get invited to like one or two a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, I was supposed to fight Lucas Leitch in uh, something called the BDJ World Festival. Okay. Uh, in Los Angeles, and the fight, and he ended up getting injured, so they they canceled. Oh, let's do the, that. The, the, the fight, but uh, I ended up I ended up commentating that event, so it was pretty fun. Anyways, but uh, but yeah, uh, I mean, I've done some Metamorphoses. I've done. Yeah, uh, I remember that. What else have I done? I, I've been talking about doing a fight to win, but uh, just haven't made it happen yet. And, what are your uh, thoughts
0: on? What are your thoughts on kind of the the transition to that um, that super fight model for a lot of the a lot of the top guys? I mean, do you think that's a, a positive development? Do you think it weakens the tournament scene? Like, what what do you what do you think about
1: uh, about that? No, I think it's amazing. You know, like you get two tough competitors. Uh, it's promoting the sport in a good way because the competitors are making some good money. You look at like events like UFC or you know boxing or whatever. They're promoting one guy against another guy. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about that for a competitor, too, is, you know, for myself, let's say I would get to study my opponent and really understand his game and create a strategy and game plan. So that's pretty cool. And that's something that you can't always do in a tournament where there's, you know, 50 guys you're not sure who you're going to fight. Yeah. And it's kind of a waste of time to prepare for everybody. So just do your best. I just usually put myself in the mindset that I'm going to impose my game and have a good strategy for myself. Um other than that, I like to know, like, okay, this next day I'm going to fight, what does he like to do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, just kind of be aware of that. But I think it's, uh, it's great that how everything is heading with the super fight scene, all these events. Uh, some events are more successful than others, come and go. But um, no, it's great. I think advancement for the sport and reward for these high level athletes that are dedicating their lives to the sport and mm-hmm. finally getting like a little bit better pay now. So I think it's awesome. I think it's fun.
0: Yeah, it, it really is nice as a competitor. Um, you know, we've, we've all uh, spent hours and hours standing around on, on cement floors at, uh, at the pyramid. And um, I know when uh, the couple times that I've done fight to win pro, um, you know, you just show up an hour before you have to compete, warm up, and then it's, it's 10 minutes and you're done uh, under the lights yeah. and it's really fun. So um, I, I certainly like it as a competitor um, and getting paid uh, doesn't suck either. Um, and I think you know you're a person that I would think uh, there'd be a lot of demand for, both because uh, you know you're you're very well known in the in the community, and also because you have such a submission oriented style, uh, which is one thing that I've always really enjoyed watching about your game. Um, I'm just curious, do you do you think that that has that being so submission oriented uh, in your game has ever hurt you from uh, like an IBJJF standpoint? Um, you know, from the within the points competition, um, obviously been very successful in those competitions, but sometimes it's, it's better to focus more on points if you just want to win the tournaments. Do you, uh, do you have any thoughts on that in regards to your own, your own style?
1: Definitely, definitely. Uh, a lot of times when you go for a submission, you open up the position, the control that you have. You kind of give up a little bit. Let's say you're in the mount and you go for an armbar. You're giving up the mount, right? Um, one time I remember I was on top, uh, working, feeling pretty good on top. Of, I was fighting at Worlds against Vitor Estima and uh, I think it was like 2014 or something, and I went for a knee bar from the top, and he came to the top, I lost the control of the knee bar. In that kind of situation, he gets two points, and I get maybe an advantage, but uh, yeah, it's dangerous because you give up position, and a lot of times giving up that position doesn't just lose you the control, but gives your opponent points. You know i i've won a, a few fights just because uh the guy in my guard went for a footlock and then i just came up to the top and it was mm-hmm. like thanks for the free two points you know and i've seen that happen countless times and, yeah and it's usually something people do when they're desperate for that win but you shouldn't do it when you're winning i think or when you're just confident about what you're doing you know yeah a lot of times you just act with like uh instinct or desperation or just you know you just you act without thinking enough and yeah, you give up points for that type of rule set, which is nice when it's sub- submission only, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to worry about that. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's very freeing. Uh, so, yeah, you know, speaking of submissions, uh, the one you're best known for is, of course, the Alma Plata. I- I'm just curious how you came to uh, to settle on the Alma Plata as a uh, as a centerpiece of your game, um, if that was intentional or if something that you just started doing it and realized how versatile it was and, and how much you, uh, success you were having with it, what uh, what, what was the origin of the Elma Plata for you?
1: I mean, I think there's a couple different type of guards that I like to play that worked really well with the entry, and then there was a time that drilling became kind of popular. You know, maybe mm-hmm. I don't know, almost ten years ago or so now, where it's like just just drill, 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 and and not that I was the biggest fan of that, but that's something that I was like, okay, what am I going to drill? I'll just drill that position that, uh, you know, these sweeps that I, that I like to do or this type of guard and it connected really well with the Omoplata. Then I started just finding myself in Omoplata more and more. And I found this to be a really fun position where I could become creative in ways to find different submissions, even within the Omoplata, different ways to move my partner control. And then I started making it a point to always go to plata. like every once in a while I would say like, I'm just going to omoplata this guy over and over and over again <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> until he just can't stand it anymore, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, you know, I started hearing people say more and more, they're like, I can get the plata, but I don't really finish it very often. And, uh, you know, that kind of set me apart in a way because I usually could find the submission, mm-hmm. And and it, and it caused people to like ask me a lot of questions about it. Like, hey, how how did you get that finish? How was that? That was really cool. And uh, and then I started of thinking it was cool too. So I just kind of kept studying it, kept understanding it a little bit deeper, and and it just goes from there, you know. Yeah, yeah. and you, sorry. Go ahead, Matt.
2: So uh, you were talking about how people usually don't uh, finish the omoplata. Do you think it's because they don't use the omoplata Crucifix? I think you have about seven or eight submissions at the Black Belt level from that position. Uh, When did you start to implement the omoplata Crucifix into your game? Was that just a thing that came natural, or was that something you had to really work on?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of my best submissions, actually. Uh, Probably one of the ones I've used the most in competition. But um, it's something that I remember thinking about clock choke when I'm on top,
3: oh.
1: internal position. And then if you think about clock choke, com- combined with omoplata when you're finishing it, especially against someone who's very flexible, they're not wanting to tap. And then you kind of feel bad, like, man, I'm cranking on this guy's shoulder, when he's gonna tap or he's gonna roll. Let me just choke him, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like the, 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 the choke is right there, just go for it, you know?
3: Mm. And, yeah.
1: uh, and and then I start realizing that, man, if I get that collar, there's no escape, you know, it's, it's pretty much a guarantee. So it's, um, it became a really fun submission too. And, and just became a guarantee for me and that I was going to get the finish once I got there and, uh, people in my academy, people, like my training partners started calling it the Clarko Plata because, you know, like you don't see anybody doing it. And, and, uh, then, you know, different variations came out of it with like nogi variations I started doing so it's and it's a really like unique submission so I, I just kind of liked it and just kept going with it
0: yeah your uh, your treatment of the position was um uh, really a revelation when uh, we first started seeing it you know around t- the the early uh 2010s i mean i I came up like Marcelo was a big Elma guy, Nino Shimbri before him. Uh, Eddie Bravo has his whole system with a lot of a lot of Omoplata. but I think you were the first guy that I saw really playing it as a position uh, where you you had a variety of submission threats and you weren't in a rush to finish. You were just maintaining the position and and kept attacking. And uh, you know for just, for me personally, that really changed the way I, I played the position and uh, had a lot more success with it after that. So um, I'm glad you uh, glad you focused on it for for the sake of all of us. Um, So you know, obviously the uh, the 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 big thing that one of the big things that came out of the Omoplata for you was um, somebody took a photo and it went viral and uh, you looked uh, very very handsome and that led to a lot of different things. Um, What was that like having that uh, that Omoplata photo just blow up and you know becoming a a jujitsu meme, getting on Good Morning America and all that? Um, Was that like a like a temporary life change or did that really? um Change kind of the nature of of your business and uh, you know your your life in a long term way.
1: Well, it was interesting because that photo was taken in two thousand twelve at a New York Open tournament. Yeah, it's Ken Primola, and, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that was a really fun event. And I remember when the guy picked me up, I was thinking man like. I hope somebody's filming this, or this <laughs> right now because it's like a pretty cool position, you know, and I'm yeah. in, the, in the tournament and the guy, you know, Ken is really strong it had mm-hmm. solid base. I couldn't really bring him down too easily. So I just kind of went up with it. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing doesn't happen every day in in, <laughs> in your training or tournament. So I, th- I was like, oh, this is a pretty cool position. And then that was it. I never really thought much of it, you know, and I didn't even see the picture or anything. But then the next year I won the Pan Ams and I won it like I was the only one that got a submission in all the black belt finals, adult finals. And uh, and then there was a little meme that came out about I was actually using that Clarko Plata, Crucifix Oma Plata position in that final match.
0: Was that that Mafra?
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Mafra, super tough opponent. Yeah. And um, in the finals there, but I remember that I saw a little meme that came out like that same day. And then the next day, somebody said, hey, you're on Pinterest with that meme, you know. And I said, yeah, yeah, I saw it already. And uh, and then they showed it to me. And it was different. You know, it was from the 2012 fight, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever, you know. (laughs) I didn't think too much of it. But then later that same day, I think it was like, you know, Monday or Tuesday that week. You know, it was like right after the competition. Um I got called out by uh, Good Morning America to come to be on their show. And they said, we want you to fly out, I think it was, they said, this afternoon. We'll put you on the flight, you're on the show tomorrow. You know? Wow. And I was like, oh, I just finished and- training. And there was like a bunch of messages on my phone. And uh, yeah, so I went out with a friend and, uh, you know, went, went to do that. And, you know, I got a lot of attention out of it which was cool and a lot of people said this is great because you're bringing jiu-jitsu to the general public not just the jiu-jitsu yeah. public you're bringing it to like the mainstream you know just everyone and i've had people even say yeah i oh i saw that live you know i saw that good morning america thing live and people that didn't even do jiu-jitsu so that was kind of cool but at the same time i kind of i was still on this high from winning the panams you know mm-hmm. and i wanted to like be recognized for that rather than a photo that was taken like a year ago. So, you know, at the same time, like, you're like, oh, it's like a kind of a funny picture. And I looked really relaxed. And, you know, those of us who train jiu-jitsu, we understand what's happening there. But I think the people that saw it and they weren't jiu-jitsu uneducated, they thought I was getting, like, slammed on my head or something. <laughs> they thought I was getting lifted up, and which I was, but... I was in complete control there. Right, you know? so right, I think even during the interview, the lady was saying, so you don't look like you're in a good position right there, but you're so relaxed. <laughs> and I was like, no, no, everything was fine. I, 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 <laughs> no, I'm I, winning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, like, you know, you should watch the rest of the video see how it turns out. Uh, but it was just a picture, and, you know, people found it interesting. And, and it was kind of a funny picture. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I got some good attention out of it, and people kind of, like, it kind of set me apart as... One for the Omo two for the picture and kind of going viral. But um, you know, I think that's that's all fine. But I still want to be recognized as more about the the technician rather than sure uh, a funny picture. You know. <laughs> but now, did, way, did you but...
0: did you have an academy at the time?
1: Did you uh, open I your was, school yet? Yeah, I was teaching out of a, out of a gym at the time, so I was really <laughs> kind of like not trying to being very aggressive with uh, my teaching you know i didn't mm-hmm. have my own academy but later that year towards the end of the year i, I opened my own spot yeah, yeah. did
0: uh did, did you get a lot of people coming in saying like hey I you know i saw you in good morning america or i recognize you from uh, the picture or uh, was it pretty much just like a normal academy normal normal students just walking in off the street
1: yeah that happened that happened quite a bit and especially within the Jiu-Jitsu community of course everybody wants to take a the same picture. <laughs>
0: the same picture? <laughs> sure, I never would have thought <laughs> of that, even but
1: today, yeah. You know, even today I go to a seminar somewhere and they say, hey, take an Omoplata picture with me. You know, so uh, it's kind of funny. But uh,
2: yeah. And speaking of like what you're known for, most people assume Omoplata guys with the Gi. Uh, but you've arguably had more success in Nogi with your Nogi World's Win. How does your game change uh, when the Gi isn't involved? How does the Gi... Wait, like when you're when you're in Nogi, gi, how does your game
1: change? Oh, okay. Yeah, um, definitely the guard is a little bit different. I like to play lasso a lot with with the gi, and that's not really possible in no gi. Uh, so yeah, I play a little bit more. I play a little different, and I, I I wrestle a lot more in no gi. I really enjoy wrestling, but I don't do it as much with in the gi. And um, I really like judo, but. I feel like we don't really have so much opportunity to use Judo in Jiu-Jitsu because people usually, they just want to bring it to the ground as fast as yeah. possible. A lot of times, you know, quick guard pull. Uh, so, you know, my Judo didn't really take off as much as I would have liked to because, you know, it just goes straight down. Um, but uh, I think, yeah, Nogi, I I like to be probably on top a little bit more, but I don't mind being on the bottom either. Whereas... Um, For a long time, in the gi, I felt better or more strategically successful in the bottom position, in the guard. You know, just put the guy in my guard and either sweep him or submit him from there. Usually, I'm going for the submission. But uh, in in no gi, I'm looking the same for submission and sweep, but I want to be on top. And I'm finding a lot more success on top.
2: Yeah, yeah and, and then with Nogi, um, you, arguably your most famous submission was the Pretzel Plata uh, that you hit. How did that come about? Was that something in the moment you just found, or was that something you just drilled in practice?
1: It, it, is, it was fairly new uh, for me at the time still. It was the first time I ever used it in a competition. I believe it was the first time anyone's ever used it in competition.
3: <laughs> I believe so. <laughs> I that, but it's
1: a pretty crazy position. I think it's uh, definitely the most locked up, like twisted position that I've ever found in Jiu-Jitsu. And because of like the nature of the position where the person just feels completely trapped, it's, uh, and it's so dominant and, you know, contorting the person's body, you know, into a position where I think the special thing about it is once we're there, I can relax, you know, I'm just like, I can take my time. I can look for this mission with, you know, and I usually like to let the person uh, mentally search for an escape. And when they realize they just can't get out, it's like a, I think about like an insect falls into a spider web and they try crazy to get out of it. And then they realize that there's just like no hope to get out and they're just, they're done, you know? So it just <laughs> like mentally destroys you, you know? Hmm. Uh, you know, usually at a position you're in an arm bar, there's always like a, a Chance of hope until the tap, you know where this one right even before the tap way before the tap There's they're completely locked up and they're completely twisted up so uh, That you know in its nature. I find it to be special for that reason so, but I, but To answer your question. I found it probably about a year before by accident and And it was something that I started looking for more and more in my training, but uh, for no-gi that would be like the most secure omoplata I could do for sure. And, and do you look for that in practice more often? Yeah. After that, especially I started really looking for it a lot. Uh, I, I found it to be a really interesting, fun position. So yeah, I would look for it uh, around that time. I was looking for it quite a bit. And then, um, yeah, that, that little clip, you know, it's on YouTube there. <laughs> it was a pretty cool, like little way I got into it. And, um, and I remember even the coach on the sideline of the guy saying, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like pretty determined to finish it pretty quickly. Yeah, I yeah. actually had a knee injury right before that in the fight. Really? Before. Yeah, in the semifinal match, my knee popped. And um, and, I, and I was going against a guy in the finals there that was really tough. He had beat one of my friends earlier that day. And uh, so I wanted to get revenge for that as well. <laughs> Was that uh, the uh,
2: submission you won uh, submission of the year for, or was that a different submission?
1: Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it was oh, the okay. grappling submission of yeah. the year.
0: Yeah, so I'm watching the clip here, and uh, what, when you finish that, is it finishing? Was the finishing action there more of a neck crank, a spine lock, or was that on the shoulder? What? What? Did, what did?
1: Where was it tightest? Most people, unless you have like crazy flexibility in your shoulder. Uh huh. You will feel it in the shoulder first. Okay. If you don't have if you do have crazy flexibility, you may feel it as a choke, or if you tuck mm. your chin, it might get slightly neck. But most people, I think 90% of the population will feel it in their shoulder. The shoulder. Some people might even feel it in their in their hip, in their leg, because they don't mm. have the flexibility yeah. like, even curled that much. When people put me in it, which I hate it, I like <laughs> it shooting across my entire leg like my, yeah. my my hamstring my it's uh, it's a crazy uh, just like twist, you know. So so you know
0: speaking of uh, people putting you in Oma Platas, um, one thing I'm always curious about with uh, with guys who have a lot of success with uh, with a system who own their own academies is uh, are your students especially good at at omoplata's? And is that – do you do you push them in that direction? Do they naturally do it because, I mean, they're training with Clark Gracie, so why wouldn't they have good omoplata games? Like how, how does uh, your specialty in that position express itself with your students?
1: You know, I'm really like split about that idea because I, I'm, I'm a big fan of everyone having uh, – sorry, what? I'm really a big fan of having everyone, all my students, very balanced, mm-hmm. and uh, with their jutsu like they're good on top, good on bottom. They know how to attack and defend, submission, everything. Uh, so I, I try to teach a very broad jiu-jitsu style.
3: Mm-hmm. But
1: uh, I've I've had like in the past, especially like the past year or so, people have kind of pushed me in the direction, like say like, hey, uh, we really want to learn more like your style. We want to. Mm-hmm. We want to learn, like, what works good for you, not just, like, general Jiu-Jitsu by the book. This is what you need to learn. And then, because I I feel like Jiu-Jitsu Academy is the platform, is, like, the lab, you know, where everyone's going to create their own style. And I don't think everyone needs to have my style. They're going to have whatever style works best for them. But uh, if they work with my style, I'm going to, you know, be a little maybe more happy because that's pretty cool. You know, they, they picked up after me. But I I want to give them the environment where they can thrive in whatever direction that's natural for them. But, you know, that being said, you know, like I said, people have been asking to have me teach my speciality more and more.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And usually when I go and teach a seminar, then it's a little different. Like I only really teach stuff that I use, that I do. Yeah. Um, but there's certain techniques that I don't really use. I'll teach it in my academy that I think they just need to learn it because... You know they're going to see it eventually. You know.
0: Yeah, sure. So yeah, I, it's I see a mix. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting thing. My uh, my coach has a very good close guard and he doesn't really. It's not that he is like everybody must play close guard, but at the same time, that's a position he knows the details really well and he can he he could just expand on it endlessly, like what you should do in every possible situation. So a lot of us end up kind of having good close guards not because he's trying to make us do it, but just because. It's a position he knows really well, so I, I imagine it's probably similar uh, for you, where there's probably not many questions about how to how to work in Elma Plata that uh, you can't answer for your students.
1: Yeah, I think uh, probably the same. You know, usually when I see someone that's uh, has the talent for this the position, then I start mm-hmm. to explore it in a little bit deeper details with them, because I think you know it's it is actually a pretty hard position to teach. Like if I just get an average room. And I start to teach like, especially the more advanced, almost a lot of finishes.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I'm usually constantly cringing like, oh, be careful. Oh, no, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm constantly like thinking somebody's going to get hurt uh, and super worried about you know, it. Yeah. It's hard. Me, it's easy for me to teach it in a private class setting, mm-hmm. but a class, you know, 20 people or more, it's uh, it's pretty difficult. Why do you think? Oh, sorry.
2: Uh, Why do you think we don't see the omoplata as much uh, compared to, like, the uh, armbar, the triangle? Uh, Those three positions, I know when you first start jiu-jitsu, those are usually the first three attacks you learn from close guard. Why is the omoplata not used as heavily as those other two positions?
1: Yeah, I don't want to say anything about, like, other techniques, that they're not as complex or anything, but I do believe that, you know, an armbar – you know, as many little details as it has, it's pretty straightforward. You know, even if you have a sloppy on bar, you can still finish it. Chokes as well. You know, you just make those grips. There's a lot of little details and the entries and everything. But the omoplata, I believe, takes a lot more uh, little adjustment, minor adjustments, and important grips and little movements that uh, that a lot of people overlook or maybe don't have the time or, or uh, it just takes – more study, I would say, and uh, more time to understand. But for me, that made it fun and made it that someone, the people actually come to me asking me about the position because I believe it's something that I understand better than most. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, yeah, it's a lot to understand.
0: So I'd like to go back to something you were talking about that you started to touch on earlier, which is about uh, teaching the alma plata So when you're teaching, uh, when you're teaching the submission and the position. What do you start with teaching people? What do you really emphasize? Uh, is it entries, control positions? Like, What, what, is, um, what are you going to start with when you do teach the omoplata to people?
1: Well, it depends on, uh, you know, if the person like a blue belt or higher, usually I'll ask, let me see how you normally get into omoplata. <laughs> if I'm teaching a private lesson or, you know, let's say, you know, something like that where it's more specific. Um, I'll see how they get into it. I'll see if there's anything that I do that they're not doing and usually there is and i'll try to add that uh if someone doesn't know omoplata at all then i usually show a very simple variation where i just get their hand to the floor the leg comes over and uh and i show how how easy it is to get into the position how easy it can be of course there can be some very intricate complex ways to like make it a very a surprise you know and for yeah. me those are my favorites you know when when someone landed in Plata they didn't see it coming you know, at all and they just they got completely set up for it and fell into it those i think are the is a really fun side of jutsu for me when you yeah you know the strategy to get into those positions so what, on their level and what uh
0: what what are the cues you look for to uh to enter into an omoplata like what what in the position tells you like yes now i can go and i'm going to catch this guy
1: basically all you really need for an omoplata is to have the person's hand under your armpit, under your arm uh, hmm. or to have your partner's your, or to have your leg under your partner's armpit. You know? So if you realize that all you need to have is to have your leg under your partner's arm and, of course, the correct leg under the correct arm, everything else can come together after that. And uh, and you can actually find that position in many more situations than you would expect. You know, a lot of people would think it's just going to be from the guard, but you know, a lot of times in scramble, I got this really crazy hmm. entry to the omoplata in a super fight that I did in Brazil against Diego Borges in 2013. And uh, I was passing his guard. I had just swept him, and I and I held on to the lasso, and then he swept me in X guard. And mid sweep, I entered the omoplata. But it was so natural for me that I I went in went into it without even even uh, Thinking about it, if you if you're looking for that clip, if you look up Copa Podio. Okay, yeah, I just found message. it. I just found it. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, the whole the fight was actually a no time limit match, so they said, you know, if you guys go over an hour, we're gonna stop you and make you keep going uh, <laughs> later on. It'll be a TV <laughs> But it lasted about twenty minutes, uh, and you know, it was tiring, but uh, <laughs> I was very cautious with my my energy output so that I could save you know plot does take a bit of energy a lot of the time you know yeah. and uh, especially when someone's really trying to get out so it seems like, like oh, sorry.
2: so it seems like you're uh, advocating for overhooks instead of underhooks do you find yourself shying away from underhooks when you're passing at all
1: uh yeah I mean because I know that if you make an underhook on the arm in a pass or even you just put your hand on the floor or even looking for a hip control through a pass, the omoplata can be there. Not that it's always going to be there. You know, if the person knows how to control the hip in the right way, it can be avoided. But if they're a little bit uneducated on the topic, they can definitely fall into it while thinking they're doing something that's completely safe the way that they've been taught to do. Uh, But with a little bit of adjustment and maybe a little bit of misdirection or even a little bit of like tricking them to think that they're good but feeding them into this position that can be a great way to enter. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, this is a this is a really amazing position. Can you guys see my screen?
1: Yes. Uh I can't.
0: You can't, Clark?
1: Oh yeah, now I can see.
0: So this is this is from the match. Um this yeah. is really amazing because you're in you're in deep um really over X-guard, yeah. You,
1: bleep, and then boom. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Actually, Cause when you, when you backstep over, it puts you right in that lasso position, just inverted from what you would normally be in guard. That's uh.
1: this is the part right here where you need to have that energy. Look, he's picking me off the floor Yeah. and you've got to make sure you have the right grips and, and you have a little, little bit of energy left over to really hold on.
0: Now when you're, when you're working your, your leg here a little bit, are you trying to shoot your right leg under his far
1: leg? Yeah, that's actually what's going to happen here if you... Okay. uh, Wait a minute. Yeah, I'm I'm looking for it. He's trying to control it. Eventually Ah. here, I'm going to find it. Right. Pretty soon here, I think. And then he's going to be forced to either tap or roll. So he Mm -hmm. rolls. It's going to happen here pretty soon. I think. The
0: clip's not that much longer, so.
1: (laughs) There you go. So I think here he goes. He has to roll from it, and then I follow it. And then it just gets worse from there, you know. I get more attached to the upper body. I'm, I'm deeper on on the on his torso now, and I'm more behind him. So it's really important for my hips to be behind his hips
3: mm-hmm. in
1: omoplata, especially looking for this finish that I'm going to get right here, which is that Clarko plata crucifix position. Right. That you
0: guys... I don't like
1: like to call it crucifix too much because crucifix is a different position. It's a position right. where I like a lot too, and it is I maybe mean, if you say omoplata crucifix then it's understandable, but it's not a typical crucifix, right? And actually, for this finish, you don't even need to have the other arm, the far arm. You can have it, but it's not really necessary.
2: Yeah, I'm noticing you You like to hook the back leg, uh, sorry, the uh, far side leg of your opponents when you're in that position. Um, do you ever go for the uh, the one that's on the, the opposite side arm uh, that you're not controlling?
1: Yeah, uh, any hook that you can make was actually going to is going to be beneficial. Uh, I do go for that one. So, if you if you look at the earlier part of the fight, I did find the hook on that far leg, right? Yeah, uh-huh. which made him roll, and it could have made him tap if he didn't have the instinct to roll. But he had, you know, that was cat-like instincts. That just like he just dove forward when he felt the pressure to escape. But I was anticipating that and followed him and just continued to advance there.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, it's cool. really interesting too. I I think um, as you're rolling, uh, you're already setting up the the control, so he won't be able to roll again. With your right right here, your left arm's already shooting across, so that you'll be yeah. be yeah. in control when you come up. That's uh that's slick. Yeah, because you can see him start to try and walk around, but there's just no way with uh with the arm over the top already. Uh, yeah. man, that's a nice submission.
1: And uh-huh. that entry, I, I actually had no idea how I got into it until I watched the video later. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy, <laughs> man.
0: No, that's great.
1: So, when you were building
2: this Omoplata system, what do you think was the hardest part? For uh, like, to, what was the hardest technique that took like that took the most time for you to uh, implement?
1: The hardest, um, like, problem that I yeah ran into, yeah. I Well, I think it's uh, understanding all of your partner's reactions, maybe understanding, I think, to any good position, any good attack, submission, you have to understand in depth everything that your partner can do to escape. And because I believe when you're in a submission, generally you're at least one step ahead of your partner, right, if not more. Uh, They have to catch up with you. And as they're trying to catch up, It's important that you can anticipate every move that they're going to do, even by just one step or the way they turn their head, body positioning is going to tell you, should be able to tell you what they're looking to do next. So by being able to anticipate their next move and prepare to either stop them from doing it or kind of move with it to make sure the position can continue to lead into your favor, that makes uh, a more, a much more complete position and much more dangerous position for your opponent. For me, I think um, there are a few escapes that are more challenging than others to defend. So I think the hardest part was just that. I mean, there are a lot of good escapes to Omoplata, but uh, most people don't understand the maintenance side of Omoplata as well. So that why that, that, that would be why probably they end up losing it a lot more or maybe using it as a sweep uh, rather than following through with the submission you know so I think um, it just depends on the person but uh, just under understanding it in depth because there are so many escapes You have to really spend time to understand that
0: so given um, given your very submission oriented style do you uh, have you spent much time working on, uh, on uh, the leg lock game as that's become a bigger part of the, the no gi and submission only scene? Because it seems like the kind of thing you, you dig.
1: Yeah, I do, uh, I do like it. I never really got into like heel hooks, but I really liked uh, knee bars. I have a few knee bar submissions in, in competition. I think uh, from brown to black belt, I was doing a lot of uh, calf locks. On brown belt, I was doing a lot of calf locks, especially no gi um knee bars I've I've used I think I've got like three foot locks as a black belt uh in my competition but pretty simple you know like I have a few details that I like to implement but nothing crazy and uh but I, I just um I, I admire the heel hook stuff but uh, I just find it so dangerous to train and and I feel bad you know because I feel like'm i I'm breaking a twig you know, like I grab that heel and you start going, and you know, it's uh, you don't want to hurt anybody, yeah. You know, but you see the guys that really do it well, they grab and they go hard, they yeah. twist it hard and without much consideration for their opponent. So, um, yeah, it's something that I haven't really spent enough time understanding, although I do feel I understand the defense of the position well, which mm-hmm. at least I have that. You know, I, I haven't, I can't remember ever being heel hooked when i'm really going you know, yeah. I'm really trying hard so but you know i don't want to you know uh, mess up my luck on that you know probably
2: yeah and <laughs> as I an academy as an academy owner what's your policy in the gym like do you allow uh, white belts to do them or how how do you manage that risk
1: i think it's really um, not really correct or you know kind of ugly jiu jitsu to be going for in a gi you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't mm-hmm. recommend going for it in the gi. But uh, going for a no gi, in my academy, I just say, look, for that position, catch and release. You know, you yeah. catch it, you hold it, you show that you got it, let it go, keep going. Or, you know, your partner might say, okay, you got it, and then keep going, whatever. But it's not a position that I think that we can really apply like every other position. Because, unfortunately, mm-hmm. on that position, you don't feel the damage until it's too late. Whereas if you if you think about just like an armbar for instance, if you just extend your arm fully and try to on your own with, without touching your arm just extend your arm, you feel pressure on your elbow once your arm is extended you feel that it's in an uncomfortable position. But you think about your knee when you fully lock out your knee, you don't feel that you know this uh, hmm. your, your knee is a much bigger stronger joint and I think it can withstand more than more than we, we sometimes maybe overestimate what, what we can do with our yeah. need, you know. And then people get hurt, you know, or it's uh it, it doesn't it maybe it doesn't have as many nerves in it. I'm not sure why, but you just you don't feel it until it's too late. So it becomes a very dangerous position to have white belts doing, you know, and, and thinking about yeah. as a business, you know, one person, ten people, twenty people in your school get hurt over time with uh people will get hurt but that's just a position that a lot of people will get hurt more so i'm not against practicing it understanding it of course but uh sparring hard with it I, i think it's not such a good idea for everyone
0: yeah speaking of business uh how uh how have you been handling uh this pandemic we're in the middle of and uh do you do you have plans already to get your academy back open
1: i'm just waiting you know i'm waiting for the what the government is going to say, what my yeah. county here in San Diego is going to say about when we can reopen. Uh, I don't want to you know, get in trouble, even sure. though there's a lot of people asking to train again, but then I think, I know there's a lot of people that would say it's irresponsible to reopen the academy even secretly. I've been still going to the academy to do a lot more filming. So that's what I've been mm. focusing my teaching on. And that's kind of what I'm taking away from the pandemic is just, uh, getting a lot more time in front of the camera sharing Jiu Jitsu through video so I've been putting a lot of stuff on my website on Gracie Allegiance and uh, in the video section there and my YouTube channel on Gracie Allegiance so that's what I've been focusing on during this time and that's how I'm trying to maintain people's engagement in Jiu Jitsu right now uh, as it's a very tough time for, for everyone and Unfortunately, jiu-jitsu is usually the last thing that someone who's scared of this pandemic is going to want to do, right? <laughs> so yeah. You don't get much closer to anyone by doing jujitsu. So, But I think when we do come back and start, I think one good way to come back is limit ourselves to maybe finding that one training partner mm-hmm. that we feel that we'd like to train with, that can commit to uh, the same schedule. Or well, at minimum, when we do come back, just you know, train with one person per day, and I think that could be a good way just mm, to a good idea. have people feel a little bit more comfortable until you know, because you get a room full of twenty people or whatever, and everyone's training with everyone, or you're going with ten different people or doing position different specific training. And for for what we're dealing with right now in the world, I think that's a really easy way for things like this to spread. Yeah, so, that's you know, a
3: good idea.
1: Yeah. It's a tough time. we we got to do what we can, right? Um, but it's a really tough time for, for business owners because yeah, a lot of people are losing their jobs or they just can't afford to keep paying and not coming yeah, uh, or they just don't want to. So
0: Yeah, it, it is unfortunate and, um, you know, wish you the best in weathering it. There will certainly be a, a lot of academies that, that don't make it. And uh, it's, it's certainly sad to, to get on Facebook and see, you know, stories from, from people, you know, who aren't able to, to keep their gyms open, uh, because of it. Um, we'll transition to a bit, uh, lighter of a topic. So, uh, not too long ago, you released Auto- automatic Omoplata on uh, BJJ fanatics. Um, not the first DVD you've done, but, um, the most recent one. Um, what, w- when you're filming, uh, these instructional DVDs, what's, what's kind of your thought process? How do you, how, if, if at all, do you change your instruction because you know that you won't be able to, to watch the people who are working on it. You know that people are just going to be doing this on their own. Does that uh, change the way that you approach teaching at all?
1: As far as you're saying people doing it at, at home during the pandemic? Yeah. Definitely- well, just,
0: just in general, because you know, when you're in the academy and you teach something, um, you know that you're going to be able to, to watch all your students do it immediately after and, and offer corrections. But when you're filming a DVD, you um, that's not the case, right? People are gonna be off doing it on their own, trying to implement these moves in class. Does that change your teaching process at all or, or the way you, um, you approach showing moves?
1: Yeah, I think uh, for situations like that, uh, the details are more important. So sometimes you have to spend a little bit more time um, with the details and just breaking things down a little bit like, why am I doing what? Cause there's gonna be a lot of like, what if the guy does this? Why are you doing this? So you're spending more time being a little bit more complete where I'm noticing like most people tell me that they're more interested in watching instructionals that are only a minute to two minute long, Mm
3: -hmm. uh,
1: which is, you know, I think the majority of people feel that way, including myself, usually. (laughs) But uh, in that type of video, you'll see the technique demonstrated maybe once or twice, uh, get a kind of a general gist of it but i think for a dvd instructional this kind of thing um they're investing a little bit more into it so mm-hmm. i i believe that they, they may be gonna focus a little bit more of their time than just like a random youtube video that they sure. across. so i'll take a little bit more time to to spend on the details and actually BGD fanatics rectum recommended me to have an average time of five minutes per technique which I wasn't sure about what would be the best time limit, but I just went ahead and took their recommendation. Because um, there are a lot of details. I mean, I, I did a few techniques that were like seven, maybe even eight minutes was my longest one.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, I've heard that they've had problems in the past, people spending like almost a half an hour talking about one wow. technique, you know, but uh, which I'm sure is possible, pretty easily possible, uh, if you really continue looking at every single you know position to uh, area of the position and and what can happen but um, you know yeah so that's probably the biggest change is just a little bit more focus on on the little details
0: okay um well we are uh, approaching the top of the hour and i don't want to take any more of your time uh, clark you've been very very generous to come on here um so automatic omoplata system on bjj fanatics you will not find a better resource on uh, the nuances of the position um if you're out in san diego uh clark what's the is, is gracie allegiance the name of um the name of the school
1: yes yeah, the name of the team uh the name of the school but more specifically, the name of the school is, is just my name, Clark Gracie Academy or Jiu-Jitsu Academy. You can, you can find me on ClarkGracie.com, GracieAllegiance.com. And uh, always welcome to have anybody, any any visitors come, come through. Always looking to uh, welcome a, a visitor or an, an, and uh, help someone that wants to, to learn a little bit more and learn from each other. So you know, just keep spreading our, our beautiful arts. And then
2: where can everyone find you on social media, like your YouTube, Twitter, Instagram
1: so the YouTube that I'm using mostly now and posting the most of videos to is just Gracie Allegiance and uh, I also have my personal YouTube which is mostly like my fights and stuff like that and um, uh, You know Instagram just my name Clark Gracie or Gracie allegiance is the team and uh, Yeah, just mostly it's just those two uh, four.
2: Yeah, and then just one more question Uh, if someone wants to watch the definitive Clark Gracie match which one would you recommend?
1: Um, well, I get a lot of people talking about the match that I had with La Pella at the, the Pan Am Finals where it was kind of like a it was like a movie, you know. I was down by two points, 30 seconds left, you know. I was going to lose the match and then I pulled it off within like less than a minute uh, and with a with a submission that no one saw coming. That was kind of a match that, that draw a lot of attention. Uh, I had a really good match with Andre Galvao in uh, 2010 that, where we tied. Uh, I got a lot of uh, people talking to me about that match as well. We fought again another time where I lost in a few points. But uh, the first one was, was the match that a lot of people said, oh, you, you could have, if I was a ref, you would have won that fight, you know, because it became a decision. And um, those are two matches that a lot of people... Uh, came to me about but um you know just i think there's a few highlights uh that that are fun to watch too for for almost mostly
0: (laughs) all right well thank you once again for your time clark it's been a pleasure and uh i have picked up a few things that i will try when the gyms uh do eventually reopen um so thank you again uh with matt joya for the FightSide.com. this is tommy elliott signing off
1: thank you guys for having me see you guys next time Hey, thank thank you you so
0: much, Clark. We really appreciate it. Have a good.